Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for June 23rd, 2019. Koyo Kubose here, so very, very glad you joined us. Well, well, <clears throat> I want to share some news. Uh, I became a grandparent uh, recently. Um, <clears throat> our grandson Tyler was born. Last Friday, and uh, at 8:40 a.m., and uh, Adrian was uh, was able to take a picture when he was 30 minutes old, and of course he was. <laughs> I I blew up that picture. Uh, he was yelling, you know, his mouth was wide open, and he was giving his maybe. He was mad, okay, but mad in the sense of the innocence, the naturalness of it. You know, going from a, a amniotic fluid environment to such a such a change, huh? Uh, he has to. <laughs> they have to take the liquid out of his lungs, and and indeed he has to cry because to clear out any fluids, so that because he's going to have to breathe on his own. Um, and also, uh, he, when he's hungry, he's got to let the world know, okay? Uh, and there's no, uh, scheming or cleverness or, uh, you know, what we would call intelligence or cognitive development. You know, it, it's, uh, of course with humans, we don't talk so much about instincts like we would with uh, lower anim- lower animals, well, different animals. Huh? Uh, but when we think about new life and and birth and a birth cry, there's so much uh, ramifications, implications, associations with, with this. Um, of course, we. <coughs> We know that the uh, birth is not the real beginning of life. So, well, when when does life begin? Okay, 
that's a variation of the question of who am I? And I remember <clears throat> when I was in college, I asked my father, Reverend Gyome Kubosi, I said, what's Buddhism about? What's uh, <clears throat> Not in terms of a scholarly answer, but kind of like you'd, you'd say social uh, <clears throat> question or an elevator question. And someone says, oh, you're Buddhist? Hey, what do Buddhists believe in? Okay. Um, and I remember my father said, well, it's to find out who am I? That's what he said. And I, that didn't help me much at the time. I said, who am I? Because how do you answer such a question? Who am I? Okay. Uh, well, if you look at the uh, if you give it some thought, you say, okay, <clears throat> uh, part of who, who I am is that, well, I, I'm a living being on this planet Earth, and uh, I'm an animal, but I'm a part of the human an- human species. Okay, When we think about evolution, uh, <clears throat> and of course, Humans are at the top of the evolutionary tree, and the only reason for that is that we made that tree up. It's based on uh, the size of our prefrontal cortex, perhaps, what we would call intelligence, okay, as defined in a certain way, okay, uh, and that has a lot of implications because people, humans might say, or even the religions teach, you know, that you're special or even qualitatively different from other animals. And that's why they say lower animals. <laughs> what, a, what a bias, huh? But, uh, of course, you're born into, um, into a certain country. You're born, uh, you have an ethnic background, which influences the culture, language. So you have nationality, uh, your citizenship, okay? and sometimes your nationality is different from your ethnic background. Okay? Japanese Americans, for example, well, <laughs> uh, Japanese Americans are, I think, the only ethnic group that counts generations in America because uh, <laughs> When the first generation came from Japan to America, uh, immigrants, well, and immigrants, ooh, that's a hot topic nowadays. But they came maybe in the late 1800s. Uh, and from Japan, okay, they go to Hawaii, they go to California. Okay. New York was way out there. Okay. It's the opposite from when you talk about European. They hit Ellis Island and New York first in terms of immigrating. Okay. And the, probably the counterpart in California was Angel Island, okay. where all the immigrants were first first assembled and so forth, processed. Uh, but the Japanese Americans, uh, the immigrants, the first generation okay, would be my grandparents. That my parents are called the second generation. I'm the third generation. Uh, immigration is an interesting thing because it tells you that there's a certain beginning. 
You might not be able to trace your family if I go back to where your ancestors came from. It's lost in inequity in whatever you call it, uh, you know. Uh, but America, okay, the land of immigrants. Okay? And uh, it, some people say, well, because you're a visible minority, you might say, well, what's your ethnic background? And uh, one time I was in the, uh, getting ultrasound, and the technician, you know, said, uh, what, what's your... Uh, What's your ethnic background? I said, oh, Japanese. Oh, I love Japanese food. And since she asked me, I asked her, I said, what's your ethnic background? She says, oh, she was kind of surprised. She says, oh, I'm white. And I said, oh, that's not an ethnic background. She goes, well, let's see. I, I think they say I have some, our family has some Portuguese in it, you know. I almost said, oh, I love Portuguese sausage on my fried rice. But I didn't say anything. Uh but uh, uh, then you're born to a, into a certain family. You're born male or female or your gender, your race. Uh, and as a family, you have a family history. Uh, and what country is, well, you're a citizen of what country? Where do you live? In what city? On the coast, in a big city, in the rural area, these are all going to be aspects of who am I, or who am I going to become, or what is my life about, or the causes and effects, the conditions and everything. Huh? What neighborhood do you live in? You know, you know that that would imply certain economic, social economic status. Whoa. Huh? Uh, so all that uh, you can look at the baby <laughs> and see there's a whole lot of uh, connections or implications or whatever you want to call it huh? and then if you want to think about the beginning of life then you could think about uh, the birth story for Shakyamuni Buddha if you're talking about well in our tradition, uh, in Jodoshinshu Buddhism, they have a, you know, while every religion has major holidays, and one of them is uh, when the founder was born. Okay. And as the story goes, uh, Queen Maya was traveling uh, to go to, back to her home uh, to have the baby, and she stopped in Lumbini Garden, and the uh, baby came out. So uh, in Japanese, Mahayana Buddhism, uh, Hana Matsuri. Okay, Hana means flower. Matsuri means festival. So flower festival. That means uh, in, in Japanese Mahayana Buddhism, April 8th, Buddha's birthday. Okay. Now, it's not, the, it's not in Buddhism, the, there's, it's not so crucial about historical facts. Some religions, they say, this is historical, or it's, it's uh, the theist, emphasis is on the theism, the beliefs. That's why they, it's common for non-Buddhists to say, oh, you're Buddhist? What do Buddhists believe in? They don't say, how do you live as a Buddhist? Huh? 
They said, what do Buddhists believe in? Okay. As though the, the, the theology, the theism, sometimes is more important than the individuality of a person in front of you. Huh? Uh, anyway, okay. Let's say uh, baby's born. And you know, Gautama Buddha lived till he was 80 years old. So there's a lot of uh, historical records and words. You know, the Tripitaka or the Three Baskets is the uh, Buddhist literature. One basket is uh, the Buddha's words. Okay. Uh, and then uh, another basket is all the sutras that deal with monastic life. Because that's the way it was in those days, 500 BC. Huh? You had to, it was the way of renunciation if you wanted to become a truth seeker. You, you weren't a householder anymore. Okay? Uh, and then, of course, you know, so Theravada Buddhism, that's the way of the elders. Okay? And then Mahayana Buddhism, meaning the big vehicle, great vehicle in the sense of are people that have uh, family responsibilities, that, that's, that's what they were born into, de- going to be deprived from benefiting from these great teachings? No, this is so lay-oriented. Okay. In addition to monastic, lay-oriented emphasis. And there are a lot of sutras by householders who became interested in Buddhism. So it's commentary. The third basket is commentary on the Buddha's teachings. And, uh, um, well, there is uh, one commentary is about the birth cry of the Buddha, okay? where sometimes it's translated as, uh, well, <laughs> Legend, myth. Okay. Joseph Campbell talks about the importance of myth, myth making, okay. as um, something that has to do with everything that answers who am I. You know, your your, your cosmology, your your the origin uh, history, <laughs> oranges, the origin history of human beings, and so forth. Okay. Where'd you come from? Where, where are you going? And so forth. Um, and the Buddha, and it's interesting when you think about human life. Sometimes, if you if you're celebrating a life, observe, you know. In fact, we call funerals now celebration of life service. And the eulogies are all about how that person lived, and all the accomplishments, so forth, education. You know, whereas when the Buddha talked about himself, he talked about himself with his birth cry. Kind of unusual. To to <laughs> he's honored by when he was a newborn, not as an old man with a lot of accomplishments and so forth. Okay. And it's kind of like a little enigma in terms of how to interpret certain teachings. And one teaching is his birth cry. And it's usually translated as uh, under the heavens above the earth, I alone am the noble one. 
Now, that sounds pretty egotistical, except that the birth cry, here I am, you know, uh, life itself is expressing itself. Hmm? No, <laughs> nothing to do with who am I in terms of, oh, well, you're, you're this ethnic background. This is, oh, you're this gender, this race. None of that is, is, is involved there. Just here I am, <laughs> you know. Life is shouting out. Okay. So Hanamatsuri is a flower festival because the Gautama Buddha was born in the Lumbini Garden, springtime, all the flowers around. Well, well, I just wanted to share that. And uh, I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. This is the lay minister, Ginny Gayo of LM10 Group. And she lives in Pennsylvania, Ginny Gallo. Morning, everybody. Here in uh, South Central Pennsylvania, it's early summer. It's just a beautiful day. Uh, have bird feeders out back of one one suet feeder and one regular seed feeder. And right now, there are little fledglings all over the place. The fledglings are the the baby birds that are able to just able to fly and they're out of the nest but they're still they're still learning a lot so you hear a lot of squawk 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 and uh, how a baby bird asks to be fed is they sort of hunch down and they raise their wings a little bit and then they go squawk 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 and the parent feeds them but the parent in the meantime is also showing them uh, where the food source is and how to find the food whether you're at the feeders or go onto the ground and look for it. So it's a really neat uh, watching this teaching going on. So uh, I've got, just yesterday, there were three baby blue jays, three blue jay fledglings that were in the back, and they're just as big as the adults, but they do look a little different. They look sort of doofus. Somehow they're not, they don't have their full adult adult feathers and, and, and face facial look yet, and you can tell tell their fledglings even though by the size you sort of wonder in fact if you listen really good now you can you can hear them over the phone but uh, but anyhow there's three little uh, blue jays were down on the ground and they were being shown and, and told uh, all about uh, where to find the sunflower seeds so uh, two of them were eating from the ground they bent over they they picked up the seeds in fact they were stuffing like crazy but one of them was still bent over and going, squawk, squawk, you know, feed me, feed me, parent, feed me, feed me. And meanwhile, the other two were reading like crazy. Uh, finally, one of the parents comes over and stuffs a seed in the mouth and then goes away. And then that one little one starts squawking again. And then one of the parents comes over, stuffs the seed in. So over the about five minutes that they were all there, the two that were feeding themselves that learned what the parents had showed them, ah, they stuffed in a heck of a lot of seeds. And the one that was still waiting to be fed maybe got three seeds altogether. So I'm thinking, well, what maybe is Dharma lessons from this? Because it was so cool to watch. And it wasn't the little one screaming, I'm empty, I've reached Shunyata, I'm empty, I'm empty, feed me, feed me. That might be the lesson the little one was trying to, might the interpreter is saying that uh, he wants to be fed because he's he's got it, 
that's how you do it. But no, uh, listen, listen, there's still more squawking going on. Uh, the next day, the three ones were back, and one was squawking, 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 and the two, two were eating. And the parent never came, never came. So the little one, third little one, finally stopped squawking, bent over, and started eating off the ground, too. And then eventually, see, yep, all three of them were eating off the ground when we're getting fed. So that sort of took the lesson to uh, to where I'm thinking about it now. Uh, you need a bit of, maybe it's about like self-effort and other power, that to get the benefit of the seeds, you need to be open to uh, to hearing the teachings. You've got to, to watch, you've got to learn, but then you have to do something about it. You can't just sort of Hear, hear the stuff in your ears. You've got to exert a little effort and bend over and, and pick up the seeds. A uh, little self-effort there to take advantage of the other power that's all around you that went into, uh, I mean, listen, like Thich Nhat Hanh, how does he got there, the sun and the wind and the rain and everything and all these wonderful thoughts about how the seed got there to begin with. But the parents teaching the bird, um, eventually if you don't absorb it, you're not going to be able to take advantage of it. Uh, and that sort of reminds me of Reverend Koya's one of the sayings he often says that great teaching requires great listening. And the bird was sort of saying, well, great listening requires great doing too, great embodying the, teaches, the teachings, showing them, living them, expressing them. Uh, I think maybe the baby blue jay was saying, uh, great digesting them, that to be truly fed by the Dharma seeds, I have to let my actions embody their nourishment. Otherwise, the seeds are just passing through, so to speak. So squawk, squawk. They're out there again squawking, but they're eating too, telling me great listening requires great digestion. And hearing the Dharma words isn't enough. You have to actualize the teachings. So let, it, let them nourish your life. And then uh, grow. Uh, Reverend Gyume had said, true understanding is not intellectual. The teaching must be tested in actual life. Hey, just ask a blue jay. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's very good. You know, as I listen to Dharma glimpses, I, I just... Uh, just listen, and all kinds of associations occur. And uh, that's where the Dharma and being on a spiritual path and so forth just gets um, uh, 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 better and better or deeper and deeper or because you have more life experiences, more memories and different things, and you have a lot of associations. Okay, So as I listened, I was thinking about uh, our bird feeders that we have at the Bright Dawn Center here in Central California and out of our kitchen window, well, we, uh, we have uh, three bird feeders. We have um, also two feeders right outside the window for the hummingbirds. We make uh, sugar water. And then about 10 feet beyond that, <coughs> near some trees, we have hung some suet, and then two bird feeders. And it's kind of nice because there's, it's, it's, the bird feeders hang from, a tree, from trees. And the birds like to congregate in the trees and then 
when it's I guess when it's safe or something, you know, they'll go and they'll go to the feeder. If the feeder's on a pole way out with no surrounding bushes or trees, you know, uh, that's their instinct in terms of um, making sure that there's no danger around. Okay, so they need that uh, to hang out in the trees, uh, and same with the hummingbirds. Okay? They feed and then they go back into all the you know the tree canopy and you know our our lot is very wooded, okay, and so I'm sure that they had their little nests there and everything and so forth. Their whole bird behavior, okay. Um, and then I was thinking, then I was thinking that uh, uh, my my brother-in-law Robert, <laughs> he lives in Chicago. He's a birder. And, and there's a lot of stories he has, you know. He's very knowledgeable. Uh, uh, and he uh, last few years he got involved with bird rescue. You know, particularly in the city, big cities. Uh, sometimes birds will fly into skyscrapers or or all that kind of. But uh, he belongs to an organization that uh, they get a, they're organized, and then they get a call. Somebody call in, well, you know, some birds, maybe they're being nuisances or they fell out of a nest or something, okay? And so he's on call and he goes and, you know, and they, they have a particular place where they could take injured birds and so forth. But anyway, you, you, if you look at nature, um, it's a great teacher. I know that Robert has said that fledgings, indeed, they're they're almost always bigger than a parent, you know, and uh, and blue jays. Wow, I remember when I was on a psychology faculty at, and lived in North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, in our particular area neighborhood, there were a lot of blue jays. Okay. And I'm sure there are a lot of subspecies in blue jays. Uh, in, now in California, uh, we don't see those kind of blue jays. We, we see scrub jays. Okay. But the blue jays in, in North Carolina, they have a lot of personality. And they're very aggressive. They're very, And uh, we had, you know, a cat. And I remember one day the, uh, there was a, a back porch had a, had a little wrought iron uh thing and the, and the blue jay came and perched on there and looked into our kitchen he says where is that cat i know that cats around here you know i said whoa um then i was thinking about uh uh bird behavior where, well, they've got to learn to fend for themselves. They've got to learn to, you know, eat off the ground. Before, their mouths would be wide open, and a parent has to come and put the food right in their mouths. But they have to grow up. Uh, and, of course, we're talking about instincts and so forth. Uh, and uh, it was a one time uh, there was a wild turkey there, there in our area, and there was a mama bird and uh, three, four little ones. Okay. And Adrian saw them. 
uh, from one window in the bedroom and and uh, I didn't know that what was going on and I let the dogs out okay and they <laughs> uh, what happened is the mama turkey flew up into the tree and she gave a cry you know bird cry and the little bird the little babies they knew right away to go and hide okay? they would go and seek whatever hiding place was available and they would freeze and i mean uh, that's basic they didn't have to learn that in a sense of learning okay but uh when that cry, they, that, they know what to do. Okay, and then after the danger's over, the mama turkey comes down, gives another sound, cry, and says, "All clear." And the babies come out, and they get behind her, and they continue on their way. Wow! Uh, to see nature, and in fact, there's a famous. Uh, story talking about uh, Siddhartha Gautama that the beginning of his sensitivity as a young man growing up in a palace life of luxury and everything that he was watching spring planting and as the plow turned over to earth a, a worm was ex- exposed and a bird came down and grabbed that worm and being a sensitive Young man, he had a lot of empathy. So, well, that worm wasn't doing anything, but he got eaten up. Uh, and uh, as the story goes, you know, he asked uh, his companions, or he had uh, not companion, but his attendant, okay, because he's a prince. He doesn't go anywhere alone. And the king makes sure that he's protected and everything. Uh, so he would ask his attendance, hey, what, what, different questions about what he saw. When he saw an old person, he says, hey, how come that person? Because he, the, <laughs> the king wanted his son to succeed himself and be a political leader, the king of the con- kingdom. Uh, and and, uh, and a soothsayer sayer, uh, had predicted when Siddhartha Gautama was born that he was either going to be a great king or he was going to be a great religious leader. And the king didn't want him to be a religious leader. Okay. Renunciation was the way at that time. So he so he shielded the young boy from all the bad things in life. He didn't want him to become philosophical and think about life. So he never saw an old person. Everything was beautiful around him. He never wanted for anything. Uh, so he was old age was explained to him. Okay. Then he saw a sick person. He had never seen a sick person. Okay. This is the the myth, the story. And he said, "Oh, everybody gets sick." And, gee. and then he saw a funeral, and he says, "Well, gee, everyone, this is human life. Everyone gets sick. Everyone grows old. Everyone dies. Everyone." Not just himself, but oh my, my family. Well, yeah, Prince, that's the way it is. To say, how do we humans 
live a good life knowing that all these things are inevitable around the corner, so to speak. And that started him on the path to become a truth seeker. Okay. And when you, well, if great teaching requires great listening, this means you have the basic internal, external. You got the organism and you got the environment. Uh, this is what a lot of nature is about, whether it's about biology or about zoology or, and uh, a French uh, educator, Piaget, uh, <clears throat> observed children and how they how they uh, how they grow up. He was mainly interested in their intellectual development, but he he had an uh, interesting uh, model about about uh, living beings. Not just humans, but all living beings. And say you you have to eat. That's very basic. Okay. This act of eating, Piaget's model is, uh, he said, there's two processes. Okay. One is assimilation. That is, you have to assimilate the food. You take that food and it becomes assimilated into your body. That food becomes your body. The food has to change its form and so forth. The other process is accommodation. This means that in order for this process to happen, the organism, the living being has to accommodate itself, change itself in order to assimilate the food. Wow, this means you got to open your mouth, you got to chew it up, okay? You have to do this work. You got to be a great listener, okay? Uh, the inside, the outside, the internal, the external. Huh? Me as an individual, and then your environment. And environment means all those things. What kind of family, where you live, your social economic status, blah blah blah. But uh, this is life, okay? And the Buddha saw these things. And 2,500 years later, we're talking about it. And that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, hey, keep going. Life keeps going. And you have a beautiful day. Thank you.